Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. The COVID-19 pandemic is rolling around the world, extinguishing expected futures and opening up the possibilities of different ones. At FuturePod, we have decided to speak to our previous guests and ask them what this moment in time means for them and more importantly, to all of us. If you would like to know more about the guests we speak to, then please check out their earlier interview on the website futurepod.org. Today, our guest is Sahail Inotula. Welcome back to FuturePod, Sahail. Uh, Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. So, Sahail, where in the world are you and what's going on around you? I'm in Brisbane. So, as everywhere else, lots of things are closed. And as for many of my friends, everyone's quite happy with it. Chance to slow down, more time with family, flights are fantastically canceled, less travel, uh, more walks, air is cleaner, I miss the beach. So uh, space has constricted, but time has opened up. Wonderful. This has been an open invitation to the guests to come and speak to the community about yeah, really what this means to them, what they want to sort of you know, start as a conversation. So what do you want to talk to the community about? Well, I think for me, there's a couple of things. I've been working on Islamic world COVID scenarios, general COVID scenarios, and also for Pakistan. So there's kind of, here's what it means for these areas and collectivity. So that's kind of part one. Part two for me has been suddenly being forced into the virtual space. So I'm reflecting on what has worked and what hasn't worked. So maybe we could start with that. Okay. I mean, uh, one group, they said, well, let's do an eight-hour session. So I was like, well, I'm not sure if I want an eight-hour session on the COVID-19 and the futures of tourism, et cetera. So we got it down to over two days, a kind of a three-hour and two-hour. And the learning should be obvious to all of us, but it took me a while to figure out. After the first two hours, it was lightning. Everyone loved it, but then there was fatigue. And so really the first thing is, even if there's a client or someone who wants to do a full-day workshop, you have to say no. People can only handle 90 minutes to two hours. So that's an obvious insight, but I learned it in, let's say, real time. And that is really the thing that what they're saying, of course, is that while online seems to be low commitment in a lot of ways, we actually cognitively have to work our asses off because we haven't got much to work on. Yeah, so I've told everyone I will not work after 6 p.m. Yeah. So, you know, we're in our work in Foresight Futures. It's global work. So many people are waking up when I want to go to bed. So I just tell everyone, no, I'm available Queensland time from here to here, and that's it. So it's also boundary setting in terms of time. So here's important time, and I'm not going to do things that, you know, take away um, actually precious time. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that, when we have so much time, we actually feel inclined to measure out our time. Yeah, I mean, it's pockets. Now, the second thing doing that futures work, I was surprised which method worked the best. So I had 30 executives, and backcasting worked amazingly well. So we imagined the future of culture, tourism, and we've envisioned it. And so I was using Microsoft uh, Teams. And so we listed the vision. Then I said, okay, if that's the case in 2030, tell me what happened. And quickly, 30 people managed to write down in the message site, here's the events. So backcasting worked fantastically. Futures triangle, here's the image. Then I asked, okay, what are the pushes? 
what are the weights? And that also worked well. It was slower, but it actually worked really well. So those are two methods. And then we did the inner visioning. I took everyone to the year 2030 and they met their future self. And the kind of the personal inner stuff was quite powerful. And people actually had an experience of their old self and their new self. Okay. So I wasn't sure which methods would work and which wouldn't, but those three really worked well. Again, you know, what makes backcasting such an obvious thing for people right now? When there's spatial maps, if I'm in a room in a workshop and people can write down, they can, you know, do like a really complex scenario methodology or CLA. But online where there's just a message board, if it's too complicated, it's too difficult. Yeah. So I went from the full CLA, which is litany, system, worldview, and metaphor, to simply saying, what's today's metaphor and what's the systemic strategy that relates to it? Mm-hmm. So just made it simple and people jumped on it with ease. Good. So it was actually simplifying sometimes complex methods in ways that are easier to access. And we, we discussed that we don't have to get it perfectly right. We just have to move a little bit how we're seeing the future of our organization or country. Because some, some of our interviews have had some interesting things to say. One of the things, and I'm sure you've been picking this one up, there is actually a, people are now using our language, whether they're actually thinking the way we'd like them to think or using our tools. But people now have introduced the language of scenario, um, a perturbations, um, you know, shocks to the system. They're actually in that space already, aren't they? I went to the basketball court just before this, and we kept two meters apart as, as, as much as we could. And again, someone who I met a month ago, and he was nervous because he was at a backpackers, said they were all being forced six in a room. And as we discussed it, we developed scenarios, what that means, six in a room. And he said, what should he do? I said, well, I would quickly call Queensland Health. Then if that doesn't work, I would call the police. And so his metaphor, backpackers are the wet markets of Australia. (laughs) Yeah. And he was really freaked out because the person next to him had just flown in from Victoria. He was coughing. And so quickly he acted. We had the conversation about scenarios, about strategies. He quickly acted. Then he messaged me back on Facebook four days later. He said, the police have been there. They've enforced distancing. And so this was the future's part actually made a difference. And today when I was in the court two meters away, we, he said, okay, so now what are the next scenarios? Mm-hmm. And then someone else on the basketball court said, yeah, here's my analysis. So suddenly, you know, we have different age groups, different education groups. We're having a really informed conversation about how futures can be used for better public policy. So I would agree with you. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic that people just, as I say, it's kind of, you know, without any real switch, people just naturally start thinking in this, I think it is a temporal space now, isn't it? I think you even, the the people now are thinking in time rather than just thinking in events or moments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still some of the, I think my, the thing that I'm working through is the rise of the conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. You know, Bill Gates has invented this because he's a cannibal and wants to eat people. Have you got a back of the envelope? idea of you know why that happens i think it's the fear stuff this is something outside my control uh they've lied to me before i don't trust the media let me find another way to make sense of this world Mm. and also they feel a bit disempowered from people who have expertise so there's that debate going on so the fear and they don't have the critical thinking skills but are obviously are smart want to be engaged and this makes them nervous that they're losing agency in their own world 
And so the conspiracy theory gives back some agency, even though, you know, from a, you know, it doesn't, you know, we know, we know 5G did not cause the virus. I wonder too, Sahal, whether there's actually a deep, a deep seated fear of nature and our lack of agency. And so we almost create a, a false human agency when it's actually the nature of our relationship with nature itself. I think for part of the group it is. The part I'm seeing, they actually have a fear of biotechnology. Okay. So the they have a view that here's what's natural. Vaccines, apps are not natural. Okay. And so, again, in a way, you're right. Our, our attack on nature has led to this virus. Let's go back to nature. Right. So it's almost a back to the future view. And then when we suggest, well, here's some ways, you know, the scenarios we just did, we're working with the Islamic world is, well, scenario one is the youth revolution, right? Youth figure out, wait a second, elderly have held us back. They have not acted quickly. We need to take over. But the best scenario was the science and spirit. So again, in the Islamic tradition is, you know, trust in Allah and tie your camel. You have this veneration of spirit, but you're also very engaged actively in public health policy. So we were looking, well, what would that mean? Can you have a global science and spirit revolution? That's interesting that, I mean, I've, I could imagine many situations where if we're talking science, then spirit can't be in the room. Yeah, so this is the opposite. What are the conditions? And partly, I think, if you know, for me, if we see this, the slowing down part, so what are the technologies we use to slow down? Is it walks? Is it meditation? Is it prayer? Is it breathing? And that slowing down becomes a personal experience of the world could be different. I mean, certainly in my case, not being on airplanes is fantastic. It's only been a fairly minor thing, but this has had impacts on both organized traditional religion and, of course, some of the more individualistic driven religions where we've had obviously formal, formal religious meetings removed and we've actually had potentially religious extremists who are kind of putting themselves as almost outside the virus. Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic point. So this is, we have one scenario called the great revenge. The extremists who say we're outside the virus and suddenly when the virus hits them, what's their response? So we saw one group of preachers who had come to Pakistan saying, no, we don't get these viruses. They were going against the government regulation in terms of meetings and now quite a large percentage of them have got the virus and spread it. So suddenly in terms of people on a spiritual path, they want this integrity and say, okay, wait a second, you claim this, but it's not true. We're seeing this in the U.S. with the protesters, right? So now we're seeing the uptake in COVID-19 in Michigan where you have the protesters saying open everything up and then you get the spread. So I think that revenge in a way, you've promised this and now you haven't acted this is and we can see this in real time so that was kind of what scenarios that we're seeing in islamic world pakistan and definitely in the u.s so hoping that goes into what you were saying delegitimizes traditional claims to be outside of history it also is a kind of reintroduction of the secular within faith in other words people can have personal faith but we actually live in a world of other people and we actually have dual responsibilities at a faith level to our God, but also we have a secular physical responsibility to the people around us. 
Yeah, that's brilliant, Peter. I just I just love it. I mean, that's really that trust in Allah, Tyre, Camel, or in the Indian tradition, the South Asian tradition, it's non-dualistic. Consciousness is consciousness, but it's also nature. You actually can't yeah. separate yeah. that. I mean, one of the things that I found quite interesting, Sahail, has been how I would say, and I'm and I could be wrong, but I would say that the West, particularly in Australia, has misread the response why people wear masks and what wearing a mask represents. Have you got any thoughts on that one? I know. So I w- I've been wearing a mask, and and for me it's symbolic security. It's saying I'm wearing a mask in a way to – it's signaling to this is serious and this is me saying, you know, let's make sure and follow the rules as much as we can. And so this is where it's a, the mask is social, even if the scientific evidence it's I think it's still being debated sure. should you have a mask or not having a mask. But clearly for me it's 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 symbolic and signaling in the right way. I know my friends in Hawaii say you can't go outside without a mask. I mean it does show care for the community. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a beautiful way of saying it. And it's interesting how people sort of often when people talk about you know whether I should. Uh, should I wear a mask? They're talking about the effect on them. And it's actually about, well, do you show respect to the people around you? I mean, and, and that list, the way you were saying, you know, how do we define the spiritual action in this phase? So one is this experience of the imminence of the transcendental. Two is there's a social dimension, right? Which you were saying, a care for others. Then there's a practice. And then there's a relationship with nature. So this, if you see it as, if I see it as a diamond, we see it as a diamond, this is saying all four have to be active. It can't just be personal. So this is what you're saying, spirit in the secular. You have touched on, obviously, your journeys through Pakistan, the scenarios in Pakistan, and obviously Islamic. I mean, is there, again, is there anything else, you know, that, that sort of is kind of striking for you about, you know, what's coming out of that? And particularly also what you're looking, what are you paying attention to going forward from here? I mean, the, the, the piece we did uh, a month ago with Peter Black, I know you had Peter on, and we looked at zombie apocalypse, the great malaise, and those are, you know, the worst case to get us to act differently. But I think the debate for me is on scenario pause to speed up, pause to change. Hmm. So I think conventional political structures will say, let's pause so next year the economy can boom. And I'm looking at that versus let's pause how do we stop the next pandemic? How do we take action about climate change? How do we see what well, we really need global governance? Viruses don't care about nation states. So I'm looking at those three. Can we, in fact, be able to pre- not predict, but be alert towards the next problem? Closing wet markets, rethinking our consumption of meat. Can we really act on climate change? And can we really make the shift in areas that are really important towards global governance? With this project we were doing with Interpoise, that Interpoise between nation states, our problems are not between nation states. We need an earth pole. Yeah. Uh, Peter Bishop talked about how prevention and, and preparation have never been that, have been a hard sell because people look at resources that are put aside as not, and not used as being somehow wasted. Yeah, we have the stories now. The great piece by ABC where the modeling for Australia, I think, was 100,000, 180,000 deaths if we do nothing. And now the deaths are, I think, 100. Yep. 
So that's not bad forecasting. That's saying prevention works. So now in our work as futurists, we have a very powerful narrative here. It worked and it can work. And the other one too that I'm fascinated by, Sahail, particularly again, I'll as a parochial Australian, was how badly our leaders handled the bushfires here in Australia and particularly their, I think, flat-out rejection of science and the people who'd done the scientific analysis and how quickly the pivot has been this time around for the politicians here to actually line up behind the scientists. Yeah, no, it's been, I mean, in that sense, the fires did us, I mean, I, I didn't want to use that language, but yeah, Political leadership learned from the fires. What they haven't learned from is, I mean, the whole thing was let's stop the boats. And of course, they didn't stop the luxury cruises. So they failed. And the second big failure was they stopped the flights coming from China because they had a worldview and data. They had similar data about Europe and the U.S., but the worldview of leadership was, well, that's U.S. and Europe. There's no viruses there. So the worldview prevented them from acting timely. Since then, they've recovered and done a brilliant job. But uh, so for me, one prevention works. And let's again tell the story, have a worldview that can see the data. Otherwise, once again, we'll have problems. So I mean, I see that worldview when I was in Pakistan, I walked into the shopping center. This was beginning of March. And they had all the scanners to stop the Taliban. So I went up to three, four security guards. I said, this is great. Thank you. Do you understand that the virus is coming and your scanners won't work? Mm. So I said, you need to be taking everyone's temperature. You need to doing hand cleansing, distancing. And then the security guard called his manager and they all looked at me. And it was very clear. I, I mean, I, I looked like a weird person. And so my takeaway, they were again fighting yesterday's enemies. Yeah. So it was the youth future. Scanners for weapons don't work. And the narrative of COVID-19 being a war against it as an enemy doesn't work. Mm. So th- I mean, that was kind of I watched in real time. You can see, okay, these are great examples of our work as futurists. Here's use futures. Here's prevention. And here's where worldview can help or hurt us in being proactive. Another point that's been raised by previous uh, returning guests, Sahail, is, is how carefully we need to choose the language we use to typify this the warfare metaphor is being used by many people to describe our battle with this thing. I mean, what are you choosing to use as a metaphor to explain this and frame this for people? I mean, what I, you know, I mean, our work is to map the frames and to empower people to choose frames wisely. You know, I don't really feel like here's the frame we should use. I mean, I'm very clear we're there as part of the solution not outside of it. So I say, if your frame is blaming, here's what it leads to, right? We need to know it leads to racist attacks. If you're framing this is just a disease, we have innovation in science and technology, but doesn't solve the financial climate change system. So the frame I try to personally speak more of, see this as a possibility of a renaissance. So in Europe, you had a renaissance which challenged traditional dogma. Mm. And the Asian system, it was an inner renaissance. How do I move to a deeper state of self? So if I start to see this as a global renaissance, deeper stage and state of selves and challenging global dogma, that's a way to pivot this towards a different type of future, even if that's still 50, 100 years from now. So I, you know, for me, these opportunities are how do I personally stay in the long term, even as every day we try to make sure we're safe and others are safe. 
Well, it's been lovely to catch up again. Uh, do stay safe, and I hope you get on the beach soon. Is it whereabouts? I mean, you're in Brisbane, so what's your closest beach? There's one kind of half beach. So been going there, we're about 50 kilometers. It's good enough. Okay. And waiting for the next one. In the meantime, you know, we took this opportunity. I said, okay, I'm at home, and we start an online course. Yes. So it was kind of a, become a futurist. Uh, Futures 101 with Adam Sharp. And it's actually been interesting, you know, to actually, how do we create a good experience for people online? And, you know, we're learning from it and people are signing up. So again, it was stay in slow time, but do something useful. So I'm I'm very happy we managed to get this going. Well, thank you again for taking some time out to talk to the, talk to the pod community. Uh, and uh, all the best to you, Winovana. And, um, and I hope your kids keeping safe, but they're not children anymore, of course. They're all adults. No, 24 and 25, different age. Thanks, Peter. This has been great. 